Welcome again to our online service here at Lord of Grace. I try my best uh, when I do preaching to keep my preaching current with things in the world uh, as best I can, while at the same time trying not to get boxed into political categories and ideologies of our country. I'm sure sometimes I do that better than others. Uh, if I see something in the Bible saying something particular, and it happens to agree more with one side or the other, then so be it. I'm not going to hide what's in the scriptures. But I've been struck lately at what has become these images in the past few weeks of people just raging mad. And I don't mean the sort of outrage at injustice, although that can be very intense, but the sort of raging anger directed at other people. I see people shouting on YouTube, beating each other on the streets, gathering in these huge mobs, chanting slogans, seething with anger. And anger, as I've said before, is usually misunderstood by us. Anger is, it's not power. It's feeling hurt and being powerless at the same time. I'll throw that on the screen for you. Anger is feeling hurt and powerless at the same time. If you're hurt, but you're powerful, you just fix it. Employee mocks you, you fire them. Problem fixed. Or if you're powerless, but you're not hurt, then you don't have any grievances, so you move on. So when I see people on YouTube just raging and yelling, I don't see that anger as a sign of strength, but as a sign of feeling hurt. Except that in a lot of our country, you can't just come up and say, I feel really hurt and powerless. And you can't open up about that. And you can't sit on YouTube and cry about that. Your friends will call you a wuss. The comment, or comment section will definitely call you a wuss. So you yell and you scream and you jump up and down and you throw out big words and you let your face get full of all red and veins popping out. But the truth is you're saying the exact same thing. And I see a lot of this rage. And I wonder what it's doing to us. If we continue to have this anger seething week in and week out, I'm sure Corona has a lot to do with it. You know, you're trying to fight this invisible enemy that we have no weapon against. It's ruining our businesses. It's tanking our economy. It's killing our social lives. It's hurting our churches. It's making your pastor have to stand in an empty room in front of a camera. I can deal with that. But the truth is we're, we're, we're pretty powerless against this virus. And then we're cooped up. And what do you do? The virus has no conscience. You can't yell at it. It's just a clump of proteins. And all this comes to mind all this kind of stuff that comes to my mind as I'm sitting here and I'm reading through our scriptures for today. And I get to Romans 6. Romans 6, written by the Apostle Paul. And he's spending a lot of time talking about sin and passion and obedience. A lot of big concepts. So let's walk through it a bit. Uh, break it down. 
I think it has a lot to say to us. Romans 6, starting at verse 12. Do not let sin exercise dominion in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Now that first line is a biggie here. Don't let your bodies make you obey their passions. Now, there's a usual interpretation here. Passion equals lust. So repress your lust, be faithful, chaste, etc. Sin is giving in to lust and sleeping around. Okay, I got it. We've heard that sermon. It's not entirely false. There's a lot of good to it. But when you talk about obeying the passions of your bodies, there's another way to look at it. Passion is a word we use when we talk about crimes. Think of this example. A crime of passion. A crime of passion is a crime committed in the heat of the moment, in the midst of a fight or an argument. The idea is that you're not in your right mind. So it's not the same as if you made a cold, calculated, premeditated decision to kill. It was done in passion. So we give a later sentence. And what we really mean is it was done in anger. You were full of anger, so you lashed out. You were feeling hurt and powerless, so you used violence to reassert your power. Think about it. Your girlfriend dumps you for that schmuck. You've hated the guy since high school. And you go to confront her. And you go to the apartment, and there they are, and the guy opens the door and he mocks you. And he calls you a wuss and a few other names. And he said she dumped you because you're not a real man anyways. And your feelings are hurt. And your pride is hurt. And that SOB is laughing at you. And he's got the girl, and he's just standing there at the doorway, and they're snickering about you behind the back, and they're over there in the living room giggling about you, and you can't handle it, and you see his smarmy little face laughing at you. So what do you do? You take out the gun, I'll show him. You're using violence to reassert your power when what you're really saying is, when you called me those names questioning my manhood, it really hurt my feelings. So what you committed was a crime of passion. It wasn't because you were tempted with lust, but because you were angry. Remember what Paul says, do not let sin exercise dominion in your bodies, making you obey their passions but present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Use your body in that moment for righteousness, not to cover up or protect your ego. That's what your sort of primal animal self wants. What God wants for you is to rise above that 
So you're not pulled by that stuff. You're not sucked into it. Paul goes on. Romans 6. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Paul's alternative to the problem of passions isn't to try to get more power for yourself so you won't feel powerless. It isn't to fight for your honor. It's to do the opposite. Become obedient. Our choice is not really between individual freedom and bondage to sin but bondage to God or bondage to sin. You're picking your master. You're not going without one. Now, maybe what we'd like to hear, but we humans are not gods. We don't have absolute power. We, we are blown about by fears and embarrassments and doubts and humiliations. We are blown about by things that bruise our pride and our egos. We are blown about by feelings of powerless and the powerlessness in the face of these things. So to fight them, you give up. You become obedient to God. You do like Jesus did, and you give it all up to follow him. You choose to put yourself under a new master so that you can be free of the old. Because Paul is saying that there is no third choice, that you, you have to have one master to get away from the other, make yourself obedient to God, and you will not care about the passions. And they will lose their power over you. And it's true. If you think about it, look at those old saints. Those old saints who were dragged to death. One of the things the Romans always used to comment on when they would drag Christians away was how at peace they were when it was happening. Other, other people, when they brought them to the gladiator ring, were trembling. I'm sure plenty of Christians were, but a lot of them, they were just completely straight-faced in the midst of all of it. I'll give you an example. Ignatius of Antioch. I know you all were thinking, oh yeah, yeah, that Ignatius, the one of Antioch. But he, he was an early Christian bishop, around 150. And he was brought to Ephesus, a city in what's now Turkey, and they had a big arena. The Apostle Paul had been thrown in this arena too. And they had this big arena, and they brought Ignatius, this Christian bishop, into the arena, and they told him that he had a choice. He could fight with lions, or he could deny Christ and worship the emperor. And Here's a guy stripped of his title, stripped of his being, in absolute powerlessness, total humiliation. The crowd's mocking him. Everybody's mocking him. This is the most degrading thing you could go through, and yet what does he do? It says he was unmoved. The Romans said he was unmoved. He stood there and prayed. And people noted it. The Romans were impressed. 
Because, because the threat to his life and his pride should have made him crumble and go, all right, hail Caesar. Instead, he stood there calmly and he didn't even throw back an insult. They threw him in the ring to fight the lions. He was not a lion tamer. He lost. The end. But this was a common comment about those early Christians, that they stayed calm in the face of death and insults. They didn't rage. They didn't scream. They didn't jump up and down and hurl insults. They didn't throw big tantrums in the public square to defend their honor. They prayed and stayed calm. So you say, how did they do that? Because they had given their bodies, their animal instincts, their selves, their passions over to God. They became obedient to him because they loved him. There was no threat of punishment in following Christ. There was only reward. And this is another thing you notice, verse 16. Look at it again. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of you whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's no threat of hell here. Not in this passage. The way of sin is death. The way of Christ is life. You live or you die. The joy of getting life, that's all you need. If you are obeying because you fear hell, then it's not done out of love. It's done out of fear. And Paul is saying there is no fear in obedience to Christ. Christ gives us the power to rise above our fears because our hearts are filled with love and joy. Cool stuff. So you say to yourself, okay, okay, Lars, all sounds nice. How do I cultivate in myself that peace that passes understanding that Paul talks about. How, how, how do I do that in myself? So that I can put down the passions and start to follow Christ. I would say, start with giving up power and allowing yourself to live and suffer for others. Give up the idea of power. Give up the idea of pride and honor and instead, choose to suffer with others, because that's what compassion means. Com passio, with suffering. You're suffering with others. So go suffer with. Go feel pain with. Feel grief with. Feel frustration with. Feel powerlessness with. Because the antidote to rage and callousness and resentment and hostility and hate is not more rage and callousness and resentment and hostility and hate. The answer to feeling slighted is not to slight others. It's the opposite. It's to suffer with them, to feel with them. Because when you do that, it softens the heart and opens the closed mind and calms the angry nerves and wears down the resentment at those people, especially if you make yourself one of them 
instead of setting yourself up in a fight. This is what Jesus did. He didn't go to earth to suffer because he was afraid of hell. He wasn't under compulsion. He did it out of love. And what he did most of the time was embrace powerlessness and obedience to God. He didn't use force. He didn't return violence with violence. He didn't respond to insults with insults. He didn't strike back at the people who ripped his clothes off and dragged him through the streets and beat him and humiliated him. There was no pride, no passions, no raging, no self-defending. Just doing the will of the Father to love and serve and heal. It was obedience done voluntarily, moved by the heart that feels compassion and not dominated by the passions. Our willingness to allow ourselves to be hurt and powerless is a sign of our love for God. It's a different path. It's the Jesus path, not the path of the passions, but the path of Christ and compassion. Amen.